Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Property is not just a, a one-way street that, you know, you just submit your offer and that's it. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shump and in this episode, we're speaking with James Rankin who's putting an ethical twist on buying and selling real estate in Melbourne. Discover how the sink or swim mindset proved very useful in his first role working in a development company and much, much more. called The Buyer's Edge, which is helping people purchase properties uh, ethically. Um, and yes, yeah, so I've got a, a real estate background, so I started working for a developer and then got into construction, helping them, you know, get sites uh, to, to build and also also selling them on. So uh, yeah, doing all the off the plans and whatnot, and then worked for a, a developer or a, uh, a builder directly with knockdown rebuilds, so doing a lot of knockdown rebuild sites. Uh, throughout Melbourne and then saw an opening up in the market where I could help people actually purchase those knockdown rebuild sites. So I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to go out on my own. I've always loved property and wanted to, yeah, just do my own thing. Rankin explains why he chooses to do his work ethically. You always hear the horror stories um, and as we as we all know, the real estate industry agent-wise is uh, is not really that highly regarded. So, yeah, there is the opportunities of people just to be led down the wrong path. And I actually saw it firsthand working for an off-the-plan company. And I lasted two and a half weeks there once I figured out sort of what was going on and just had to pull the pin because it wasn't me at all. Uh, and that, uh, that's what really gave me the final push to go on to the buyer side and use the knowledge that I've, I've gathered over the years to, to help them just the right property. He expands on what he discovered within two weeks of working with an unethical company that changed his mindset and his career trajectory. Things that I saw or that was alarm bells ringing for me was just the percentage that they were getting paid. Um, no one should make 10% off a transaction just for selling it. It was crazy. So it, look, they're not always that high but you know, 5% five, 5 was quite regular. Um, these are all, all new off the plans. So, yeah, there was just massive, massive commissions. And at the end of the day, the one that's going to cop that is the, is the purchaser. So when it, when it comes time to values and them actually settling the property, it's, um, it's not good <laughs> at all. And, you know, the whole uh, rental agreement – or, sorry, uh, guaranteed rental – that's um, all built into the prices as well. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't sound good, especially when these people have not much idea in the property market. They're just really um, taking advantage of them. Isn't that what what's ha- what was happening? That's exactly the reason. Like these these people come, and some some of these guys are, are putting themselves out there as buyers agents, but they're not because they're they're getting a, a fee from the actual developer. So they're more or less a spruker, and you know. I've heard stories where they'll double double dip, so they'll get paid by the buyer's agent, or sorry, they'll get paid by the, the purchaser and then get paid by the developer as well. So, you know, if they're getting 5% of a million dollars, like if it's a million dollar apartment, 50 grand from them and say another 15 to 20 grand from the uh, the purchaser, 70K for a deal is, uh, is just stupid money. Rankin suggests where this type of business happens the most. Not too familiar with the Sydney market, but... I know Melbourne and Queensland, sort of that Brisbane, Fortitude Valley, it's been all of that. You know, where, wherever there was a heavy influence of Chinese or overseas buyers, that's where these deals sort of came about because they were, they were easy picking. On a typical day, Rankin makes sure that he's well informed on the current market before he discusses this with his clients. A day-to-day, it's pretty focused around research. So I do a lot of reading in the morning to understand sort of what's going on, try not to take in too much of what the media says because these days it's just all doom and gloom. But yeah, try to try to work out, you know, if there's a new development site going on or there was a recent article from CVRE, they've had a record sale price in, in, on St Kilda Road. So it's those types of articles just so you know what's going on in the market. Um, and then I'll, I'll sort of just start the day with contacting agents or you know, off markets, or if I'm working with any clients in particular, just to give them an update as, as to where everything is. I work with a few developers and investors to help them acquire new sites. So I might be talking to engineers to see where the feasibilities are at um, or the, the concept plans. So it does range. I, I try to block out Thursdays as purely going to look at opens because in Melbourne, Thursdays is a big uh, open for inspections day. So I try to, to mainly knock off most of the opens on there and then, you know, auctions and whatnot will be on Saturday. Rankin doesn't take on too many clients at once to ensure he gives each client the attention they need. To locate a good property, um, one that we would look to purchase, it does take a long time to, to go back through that and, and check everything, do the, do the right research. Uh, which is why we only deal with four clients at any one time. So if it's James looking after after you, you'll only be one of four because that's that's just the amount of uh, people that I can I can work with and give them the full attention that needs to you know purchase the right property. And roughly, how long does it usually take at the moment for you to find a property? Like, do you have? Uh, it might be like a, a piece of string question. How long is a piece of string question? But um, on average, how long do you think it's taken so far to find a property for your clients? Yeah, well, look, it's I'm early days in the in this. Like, I've gone out of my own quite recently, so it's hard to gauge what it would be um, at the moment because we are we yeah we're just at that sort of early early period going through everything to, to help clients settle. But I, I would imagine sort of around that six to eight week week mark to to get everything sorted, you know, from getting finance to um, starting the search, yeah, and, and then settling the house or, or deciding on the actual property, yeah, you're probably going to be around that 
maybe even four to eight week mark. Rankin grew up in Melbourne, where he continues to live and work. So, I grew up in the southeast of, of Melbourne. Did you go to school there too? Yeah, so I went to, went to school there as well. I went to a couple of schools, uh, one in Chadston and then one out a, a bit further. So, yeah, that's, that's where I grew up. Always, there was where, where my parents lived originally, there was a lot of farmland around there that was getting redeveloped. So, I we, we had the actual site. Uh, land subdivision sales office on on our block. So that was, I guess, my first experience with real estate. Because as even as a little kid, I um, I mowed all of their their front office and the nature strip leading into it. And because I enjoyed doing all of that stuff, I and you know there wasn't there wasn't many kids around at that time. So when people came looking for the property or they'd be looking at the board and the agent wasn't there, I went around and showed them where the block was because I knew where it was from mowing it. So I'd take them around the block and show them where that one was and the agent actually came back to me and said that I'd help them sell a block. So they gave me a little badge and you know a whole heap of planner subdivisions and I guess that's where it all, all started. I was probably about 12, 12 or 13. It was clear that Rankin was interested in property from a very young age. My mum, she used to always bring home the, the weekly review because she worked in Stonington. So she'd bring home the weekly review ever since I was yeah, a kid, 12, 13 years old, and I just used to sit there and read them, like read the, the property section in the in the real estate. So um, yeah, it was, I don't know, it's just something you're, you're born with, I guess. It, it, it runs through you. you. You'll have a passion for it. And uh, yeah, why not? Why not do it day to day as a job? So, although initially he didn't find it that easy to get into the industry. Funny story. I did try to jump into it as soon as I left school. So, 18 years old, went out. Yep, I'm going to be a real estate agent, and it was a pretty bad time in real estate. It was about 2006. I don't know, sorry, 2005. And yeah, I just got turned away. Everyone said I was too young because I. At the moment, I'm I'm 30, and I look like I'm 18. So <laughs> yeah, back then I probably looked like I was 12 years old, and just I couldn't get a job. They all said, you know, go and get some real life experience and come back. So I went out, worked for my for my father for a while, um, and then went out, started a few businesses, helped grow a couple of businesses, and then worked for yeah the developer, and that was sort of the first job that I got in real estate. But always had a passion. Like I'd always been around real estate and, and enjoyed real estate, constantly looking at it, um, and made the first purchases before I moved to work for the developer. And then, yeah, it, it all just sort of kicked off again. Then Rankin expands on his time working with his father. Dad was in electrical uh, and signage, so completely different. But I definitely got the real world experiences that the agents were telling me to go and get because. Uh, yeah, I was thrown in the deep end there as, you know, 18, 19 years old to help set up factories in China. So, yeah, they moved manufacturing over to China and I was sent over there pretty much to to set up a factory the size of Bunnings with all the logistical side of it, um, machinery, all the um, the containers that they'd sent from Australia, getting those unloaded by hand, which had been packed here by forklift. So these were like CNC machines, massive routers that 
weighed tons and uh, they had no forklifts in China. So we had to, you know, unload them all by hand. Wow. Which was which was crazy. Like I, I got there and I was like, Where's the forklift? And they said, We don't we don't know what that is. <laughs> um <laughs> and yeah, it was just a an eye eye opening experience. So I went back there three or four times to help get the factory set up and yeah, that was um that was definitely an, an eye opener. He also spent some time in automotive jobs before committing to his real estate career. I'm a big lover of cars. So the one straight out of from working with my dad was with a, a mate of mine doing car detailing, which was awesome. Like we loved it. It was the best summer job ever. We just got to, to cruise around and go and polish cars and clean cars and it was it was a pretty pretty good time. Um, you know, back then you're more focused on going out, so it was a it was a pretty good pretty good job for that. <laughs> Definitely. So, what has been one of the best cars you've you've detailed, or one of the m- most favourite cars you've detailed before in the past? Oh, back then it was a it would have been a Ferrari. Um, so that was yeah, it was at the time because this is what are we talking? It's probably eight to nine years ago. Um, so yeah, it was a like a, a F four F four thirty Ferrari. So yeah, that was um, that was pretty special at the time, and the guy took us for a drive in it. He took us um, down onto the onto the freeway and gave it a bit of a, a squirt. So that was pretty special back then. Rankin believes his work experience before entering into real estate was valuable to him overall. Then I think most of the situations I've put myself into have been that sort of sink or swim, where you've got to figure it out, you've got to be a problem solver. And yeah, it's the only way to, to get it resolved. So yeah, those those early experiences definitely have set me up to you know pick pick real estate as a career now and and really just drive it forward. Coming up after the break, we'll hear about how James Rankin got into his first role in property development. So again, no idea, no architectural or draft draftsman background thrown into this role. The very start of his property investment journey. I was about 25 when we bought the block of land and that was being a first homeowner, going through a a builder that I had no idea what I was doing. Things he's learnt along the way. You can be extremely creative with how you come up with with the terms. All this and much more after the break. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey podcast listeners, have you got cash or equity that is currently unused sitting in a bank account that could be invested into a property asset to generate a greater return? If the answer is yes, then register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. When you become a money partner with me, it enables you to receive opportunities to get a minimum of 20% plus returns on your cash or equity. To find out more, visit propertyinvestory.com. Now back to the show. Rankin's sink or swim mindset proved very useful in his first role working in a development company. The development company was split up into into two sections. They had the medium density side and then construction side. So I was in the on the builder side, so the the construction helping people with knockdown rebuild sites or even just greenfield sites, but mainly custom design homes. So again, no idea, no architectural or draft 
draftsman background thrown into this role purely from the fact that I, I knew the owner. Um, he knew me when I was a kid and knew that I loved property. And he just said, yeah, well, well, we'll give you a go and just learned as I went on. So it was a tough sort of 12 months drawing up these plans that, you know, had 12 metre stands in them with no support and then taking them to the to the draftsman going, how do you expect this to be built? There's no support or there's no house, house upstairs going to sit there without any um, any structure. So I quickly understood what um, or how to, how to design a house. Um, based on all of these mistakes. And then, yeah, it just grew from there. I, I really enjoyed doing all those custom design homes. And then, yeah, started helping the other side of the business, which was the development side, uh, selling those off the plan as well. This He was a good off the plan, or he is a good off the plan developer. Um, I bought a couple of him through the years as well. But yeah, then helping those guys um, look, at, look at sites as well. So site identification and then going back with um, working it back from the engineers, seeing where the services were, identifying, you know, potential sites. So I still do a bit of work for them. Um, I've played golf with one of their uh, one of their directors most Fridays. So, yeah, I still keep that, that close contact. So you mentioned um, he's a good operator of selling off the plants. What makes a developer like that a good operator? He is always of the mindset that he, he just doesn't want to do one sale with that person. He wants to do 10 sales. So if he can work out what his overall margin is going to be and if he can share that a little bit with the, with the purchaser, so the values stack up because most of his sites he'll sell two years in advance. So to give you an example, I bought one off him when I was working there for 340000ish in the out. out skirts of Melbourne or in the southeast and that was probably at the time maybe 40,000 under market value like if there was because there was quite a few other sites at that time going to market and they were about 380 to purchase there and we settled it oh, it's coming up for two years now uh, and when it settled the bank bill was 460 so yeah it was a lot easier for us to get the funds and he knows that and with that sort of instant equity, we bought another one straight away. So we went and, yeah, through him. So we went and bought another one. And that one, you know, has 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 slowly built up again and it's probably going to be about, you know, there might be a little bit of a change in it, but there's probably around 150 grand worth of equity in it once it's settled. Gosh, that's phenomenal. And that's very smart being an operator like that because, as you said, it, it allows the purchaser to actually have a small win to be able to come back again and then for him it's it's a long-term strategy and he has enough of that coming back that's exactly why he's done it because it's enabled him to just grow the business very quickly because those those people have trust in him now and they go well yeah he's made us money so why wouldn't we go again yeah that makes absolute sense so what does he focus on developing so medium density so mainly you know, anywhere from Lang Warren right around to Warrigal, that they're they're pretty much done in Warrigal Warrigal now. So it'll be sort of drawn back towards um, Berwick in that corridor through there. And yeah, they they just do medium density sites. So their their sites are very very good now. They've um, worked with top agencies to sort of get them to that level where they when you walk in or when you drive into them, it just feels like a small 
housing estate. It doesn't feel like a unit site. They're, most of them are detached. Um, they've got, you know, they've just got all the, the niceties of what a normal subdivision would have. Rankin expands on what types of properties this developer produces. You'd call them a villa unit more than anything. They might have a garage wall touching for the majority of them and then they've got like their reloaders which will have common walls. But, you know, that's just what it, that's what the council wants. The council wants some of those in there and it also, you know, it helps with the yield. But the majority of the, the sites will be, you know, these detached little, um, little homes. So they're good for downsizers and first homeowners. Most of the guys that I helped get into those were, yeah, were downsizers. So a couple of divorcees, um, first homeowners, just, you know, affordable bracket. And that's the other thing he, he does those to keep in that affordable range. Yeah, that sounds extremely affordable. I mean, you compare that price to, say, Melbourne CBD or Sydney CBD, you know, you're kind of thinking, wow, you might as well get one of those. And if you're going to be able to get that kind of equity through a property like that, you might as well buy one of those and hold on to it for a while. Yeah, exa- exactly right. And he knows that they take quite a while to, to come to site. And yeah, he's, he's just happy to get that 10% deposit up front. And then he'll wear the costs for, you know, the two years it takes to, to get to come to settlement. Rankin shares his very first property investment experience. I was about 25 when we bought the block of land. And that was being a first homeowner going through a, a builder that I had no idea what I was doing. It was, yeah, it was extremely daunting. We didn't have the best experience through the builder and, um, yeah, hence why, like, pretty much, well, six months after I'd completed the build on, on my property, I was I was working for, for the developer and working in construction uh, just because I saw this was my opportunity to go back into it because there was a need for people to be educated. And I, I really connected with those first homeowners in those first couple of years. Still do now. Um, but really at that early point, I did a lot of first homeowner stuff because I had that connection. You know, you don't wanna you don't wanna go down that road of um, of working with someone that's just not going to contact you. So I was very mindful of that. And even in the in the business now, going back to the limitation of clients that I'll take on is because of that contact. You know what I mean? I'll always ask the client, how often do you want me to call you? Do you want me to call you twice a day? Do you want me to call you four times a day? Or do you want me to call you once a week to let you know what's going on? But um, yeah, it's just making sure that you meet their expectations and uh, and yeah, communication is number one. He discusses his most difficult investment to date, an older build in Queensland. I've been pretty fortunate. I, I, was, I started buying at the, I guess, like the the start of the run for Melbourne. So I've been quite fortunate. The last property purchase I made was up in Queensland, so in, in Beanley. And that one's been a little bit trickier because it was, you know, an older build. We didn't, we bought it off, um, off a buyer's agent up there and we didn't sort of get the chance to go through the property beforehand, which is why we used the buyer's agent. And look, they got us a ripper deal, but we are just, we're about to do a little bit of a reno on it. So if any yeah, ones were going to require work, it's, it's going to be that one because it, it does need that, that renovation done on it just to get a bit more value. We've done all right with the value on it. We, we had it recently looked over by a, an agent up there and we're probably 70K ahead in there. 
um, from when we purchased, which is really good up up in that market. It's quite quite a slow one compared to down here and what we're used to over the last few years. But um, yeah, I I haven't got any horror stories of my own, which is which is good. Yep, definitely good good to hear. Yeah, like I hope that it that it continues that way. He brings up another recent bump in the road. We had some tenants move out of a property in Officer and because that was a newish area, realestate.com, so this is one where we're listing it to get some new tenants on, realestate.com hadn't had that subdivision updated in their system. So when you went searching for this um, or for, for available rentals in that area, it was pinning it right back to Pakenham, which was nowhere near. It was about five k's away from where it was, and and probably not in a desirable location. And what we're asking for in rent. And I looked at it on the map, and I said, "Why is this going back to Pakenham? Like people are going to jump on here and say this isn't the actual property." So I went back to the to the agent and said, "Hey, look, you need to call realestate.com and get the get the dot moved." And yeah, once we got that dot moved over, the inquiries. Yeah, they, they started coming up. So, yeah, I guess, you know, from from my point of view, you can't always rely on the property manager. You, you do have to do some work yourself to make sure that it's going through because at the end of the day, they're just, you know, trying to do their job. They're not going to micromanage every little property, even though they should be. But, yeah, little things can be missed. Rankin explores the moment that everything clicked for him when it comes to property investing. So, an aha moment, I guess. When I understood that you, you don't, there's, there's flexible terms with purchasing property. I guess that sort of really opened up the door to me um, and how you can be creative with terms. And yeah, once I sort of, sort of understood that, that property is not just a, a one-way street, that, you know, you just submit your offer and that's it. You know what I mean? Whatever the terms are from the vendor, that's just what it's going to be. So in markets like today where it's, it's turned into a buyer's market, you can be extremely creative with how you come up with the, with the terms. So I recently put an offer in for some friends of mine on a property where we were very creative on the uh, on the terms. So yeah, it's just it's interesting how you can actually purchase property. And yeah, that was that was the turning point for me, uh, especially with the development site. You know, pushing for for as long term as possible just to get your, your development side of things sorted. He explains what he means by creative on terms. When, you know, if you can go back to the agent, the selling agent and ask them, hey, look, what do these people want out of the deal? Do they need it to be a six-month settlement or are they happy with 12-month settlement? So understand where the vendor, vendor is at because they might have tenants in them and they might be cool with 12 months. So I had a, there was a recent property down the road in, in Bo Morris where it was coming up to auction, you could tell the agent was stressing on it and they just kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing it through social media. And I sent him a message and said, hey, you know, do you reckon you could get this on 24-month terms? And he said, he turned around and, and he was like, look, I, I think there's a possibility. So those types of things for a development or for a developer, if you can get it on 24 months, that is a game changer um, because that just lets you go through your processes. You don't have to worry about settling it in 60 days or 90 days or anything like that and you can just get everything sorted. So yeah, those those types of things are becoming more and more common in this market. He leaves us with how he formed this sort of creative thinking. 
when I worked with the developer, I, lo- I learned so much from him. Like, just I would sit there, I, I would pay to sit in the office next to him. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't pay for the stuff that you learn in those types of offices. I was there, glued to that seat till seven, eight o'clock at night until he left. Um, just because, yeah, you, you learn so much in those offices. Join us on a future episode of Property Invest Story where we delve further into James Rankin's property development strategies. So you've got to understand or see where the trends are to help identify a site and ones that could possibly be changed in, in the zoning as well. People inspired him on his journey. I guess they're my main mentors. Um, I am chasing them. They're, they're my goal. Advice he would give to others interested in investment. So the train is always going to keep moving. It's just your choice at what point you want to get on it. Tune in for all this and more in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, have you got cash or equity that is currently unused sitting in a bank account that could be invested into a property asset to generate a greater return? If the answer is yes, then register interest to become a money partner by SMSing me your email address on 0499881040. When you become a money partner with me, it enables you to receive opportunities to get a minimum of 20% plus returns on your cash or equity. To find out more, text me your email address on 0499881040. Thanks for listening.